0: Welcome, everybody. This is Clay Frost. I'm your host on ThriveCast. Today we have a really awesome guest. Super excited to hear his stories. He is a—I mean, I'm not sure how exactly you said it. It's just director. It's a player
1: engagement. You're part of the staff on player engagement with the Dolphins. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. It's player engagement cool. coordinator or assistant director of player engagement. I get all kinds of different titles, depending on who I'm talking Very to. Very good. Um, today, we're just going to talk a little bit about his experience, a little bit about the NFL and what it
0: takes to thrive there. And I'm just so happy to have you on. Thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Glad to be on. Appreciate you having me.
0: Um, first and foremost, uh, as, as we are kind of talking before, you 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 mentioned a little bit about uh, escaping the Congo, escaping yeah. from the Congo. Um, I I think first and foremost, that's a story that needs to be heard by everybody. So let's hear it.
1: Yeah, I feel like my story is pretty unique because I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So mm-hmm. you know, my roots are there. I, I lived there till I was uh, six years old and then there was a civil war that broke out. Uh, unfortunately, it's not something that's uncommon in African nations. So mm-hmm. civil war breaks out and we were forced to basically escape. Um, the crazy part is this, where the actual battle broke out was where my aunt and uncle lived. And we were visiting them right before it happened. So the war breaks out, we actually had to go through the war zone, like the battle zone, we're on our elbows and knees We're military crawling, bullets are flying over our head. So it's me, my sister, my brother and my lo- and my little sister, older sister, little sister and my older brother. And we have a friend of the family. And they're helping us get up out of there. While all this chaos is happening around us. So left and right, you're seeing bodies drop left and right. And you know, by the grace of God, we were able to get on a boat uh, that got us across the Congo River, got across the Congo River to Kinshasa. So Kinshasa is the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where I'm from. And while we were there, we you know, reconnected with my parents and you know, we knew that it was just too dangerous for us to stay there. So from there, we lived as refugees for a little bit and we moved over to South Africa. And in South Africa, we settled in Johannesburg, where we lived And unfortunately. Johannesburg, Yeah, yeah. Right. So we, we were there in Johannesburg, and it was while Nelson Mandela was still president. And it was post-apartheid. Mm. But you could still feel all the tension in the air. So yeah. it's post-apartheid, South Africa. White people didn't like us because we're black. But then you see the black people don't really like us because we're not South African, right? So we're not one of them. Because you're refugees, you're not quite part of that? Exactly. So we didn't fit their mold. So because of that, uh, we only lived there for about eight to 10 months. I can't remember exactly, somewhere between eight to 10 months. But while we were there, I remember we didn't have any friends at school. Nobody really wanted to, you know, associate themselves with us. My mom, uh, I remember there were a couple of times we got called out of school because we found out my mom got beat. You know, like she, we would go home and she would have a, a black eye or a bruised lip or mm-hmm. our house got robbed. Right, so like my siblings and I would get called, hey, you guys have to go home, your house got robbed. Uh, My little brother, who at the time was like one or two years old, was getting death threats. You know, they were saying, hey, if you guys don't move out of here, we're gonna kill this little kid. So it was just an extremely toxic environment. So we went from there, um, flew over to the U.S. because we had an uncle living in Dallas, living uh, in Irving, Texas. So we moved the family over to Texas. and And how old
0: are you at that point?
1: At that point, I'm seven years old. Okay. So at seven years old, I get to Texas. I don't know the language. I wasn't fluent in English until I was nine years old. So I was taking ESL classes, second grade, third grade. That would uh, be the, French?
0: That'd, that'd yeah, be so French was,
1: yeah, French is my first language. So that, that's my native tongue. That's what, that's what I spoke. Still speaks French. But I didn't know a lick of English until uh, I started taking those ESL classes. And it wasn't until around fourth grade that I felt, okay, I, I can hold my own. The worst part about that is whenever, you know, all the kids, you know, because kids are mean, kids are making fun of you, you feel like you can't really defend yourself because you don't know the language. Yeah, so I don't know that, what you're
0: saying, but it feels mean. <laughs> exactly, I know that.
1: Exactly, right? So you just like, yo, what do I do to defend myself? So because I didn't know how verbally, it always ended up turning it into something physical. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, I gotten got a lot of fights growing up, but you know, once you learn how to speak the language, you're like, All right, maybe I can hold it.: Things can slow it down pretty fast. Yeah, so from there, just being in Texas, that's where I, I was uh, introduced to football. Which I don't know if you've been around Texas high school football. I heard all about it. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. It's a, it's a religion over there. So you know, I, mm-hmm. I got bought into it. And, and, and so I want to I want to backpedal a little bit. So
0: you you had two older siblings, older brother, older sister.
1: No, young? At the time, yeah. So there's six of us total. There's six okay. of us total.
0: So the four of you escaped and then reconvened with your parents on the other side of the river.
1: Yeah. But so who is the oldest
0: one kind of guiding you through? How
1: old so the person, you? the person that was guiding us through was a friend of the family. So friend of the family oh, okay. who was, yeah. So the friend of the family who was friends with our aunt and uncle who we were visiting at the time, right? Okay. So whenever we got back to Kinshasa with my parents, uh, my mom was pregnant with my little brother, right? So he wasn't around yet. And then my oldest sister actually stayed back. So she wasn't with us whenever we were visiting my aunt and uncle. So... The four of us okay. reconvened with my, my parents and my older sister. And then shortly after, my little brother was born.
0: Oh, that's so crazy, man. That yeah. is epic. Um, what was it like? Do you remember understanding the gravity of the situation, being just six years old? Or we kind of just like, oh, we're following this guy and what's going on around me? Do you remember yeah. much?
1: You know what's crazy? It's when you're six years old, everything just kind of feels like an adventure. You know, um, I remember all of it. But I remember in my head, it's less fear and more like, yo, we're in the middle of an adventure. You know, I, I, I was really into cartoons and things like that. So, you know, everything just- You're humming kind of like, along
0: yeah. to the, the Indiana Jones theme song as you-
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it it, it feels like just like you're in an action packed, yo know, mm-hmm. movie, cartoon, whatever. And honestly, you know, it, it didn't really hit me until we got to South Africa. And South Africa, like whenever you're getting mistreated there, that's when you're like, oh, like, what's going on around here? It's, you know, it's serious. It's really yeah. serious. So yeah, it wasn't really until probably about a year after we had escaped Congo that I started to understand the gravity of the situation. Dang. That's crazy to hear that, like, just a few things that could have
0: gone wrong. You're separated from your parents for, for, for a long time and things get really rough. I'm so glad that you made it out. That's really, yeah, that's something else.
1: Yeah. And so, so that it's... was,
0: what year was that? That was back in, like, 95? or 97. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Okay. 97. That's that's so cool. I have so many questions I can't even like verbalize. I don't even know how to say them. Um, but that that's really cool. And so you got to Texas. Uh, did you did you play soccer at all in the Congo? Is that nah, my that my, was... my older
1: brother did. My older brother mm-hmm. played soccer. Uh, my oldest sister played tennis. Uh, no, I, yeah. So I I mean I wasn't really that much into athletics to be honest with you. Okay. No, my only experience with soccer was 10th grade. I decided, yo, I didn't really want to be a part of the football off-season program. So I was like, yo, let's see what the soccer thing is about. I tried out, didn't make the team. And okay. that's it. Went back to the off-season program. So that was, that's the ball yeah. it is. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome.
0: And then you, you ended up getting recruited going to Oklahoma State.
1: Yeah. So, so I was getting recruited by a lot of smaller universities. Um mm-hmm. uh, but I actually made my decision to go to Oklahoma state because there were one of a few universities across the country that had a sports media program. Oh, so, cool. yeah, there were only uh, one of two that were nearby. So I decided I was going to go there because of the sports media program, got an academic scholarship. And then whenever I got yes. there, I was like, you know what? I still want to play football though. So I walked on. And I was fortunate enough, after about two and a half years of walking on at Oklahoma State, I was able to earn a scholarship there. But no, Ooh. Oklahoma State wasn't even recruiting me. I got there. I went there purely based on academics. And funny enough, after a year there, I decided to switch my major from sports media over to uh, <laughs> uh, business administration. So,
0: And that's everywhere. So, <laughs> yep, that's cool. So tell me a little bit about the difference, like uh, the experience as a walk on compared to a scholarship athlete. Like, kind of contrast those two years for me as you're walking on compared to the last two.
1: I'll is tell you what, like- you, do, you, you do everything that the scholarship athletes do. Like, the demand is the same as far as uh, what the coaches demand of you. You're going through practice. You do every single thing that they do except for play in the games, really. You know, just because, yeah. you know, there there's almost like a tier, a threshold of, hey, these guys, you know, they're on scholarship. They're going to go and they're going to do it. So, you know, that, that was tough, and, and especially because at the time the NCAA rules had it to where you can't even be in, you know, the same training tables at the guys. So after practice, the guys are going and they're eating dinner and they're going to what's called a training table where all these meals are provided for them. And uh, it would be too much of a competitive advantage at the time if they were to provide those to walk-ons as well because not all universities had the means to do so so because of that you know, we had to go on campus and kind of just you know get our own meal so at some oh, point you didn't feel like you were necessarily a part of the team but honestly it was great um because kind of like a red shirt like just
0: yeah is that i'm not quite sure because i wrestled growing up i wrestled d1 and so when you red shirt like the, the program doesn't pay anything for you they don't take care of like if you want to do anything like i'm your own dollar
1: yeah so so you, you the thing is you have red shirt scholarship athletes on a football team as well, but, you know, just as a walk on you, it's kind of, yeah, the the, the team's not providing anything for you and you Mm -hmm. better be good enough to actually earn your spot on that practice field. Sorry, on on that game field. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for those first couple of years, it's just like, yo, this is about to be a grind. I know it's going to be a grind, but hopefully this whole thing pays off and I was fortunate enough that, that it did. So I like that. Walking into it with the mindset that you know it's going to be grind
0: and it's just going to be tough, did that help you a lot? Was that something that was, uh, that, I mean, did it kind of encourage you to know that it's going to be a grind or what kind of me through that?
1: I feel like it, no matter who you are, in, in, especially at D1, Power 5, college athletics, if you don't have the mindset that you're about to work, you're just not going to make it, honestly. like <laughs> that, That's really what it comes down to and I feel like anybody who's gone through that has had teammates or people that were a part of the program that didn't have the right mindset coming in. And because of that, they fell out of that program pretty quickly. And I would say it's probably the same thing even with guys coming into the NFL. You know, they have this goal and this dream of making it to professional football. Okay, well, you make it. Well, if you get satisfied, you know, a guy named Doug Marone, uh, who is the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, once said, you know, the three most dangerous, dangerous words that you can say in this industry is, I got it. Because as soon as you say, I got it, then it stunts your growth. You're compl- you start to become very complacent. And it's always, uh, you have to remember, like, the same thing that got you to a certain level is not going to be the same thing that's going to keep you there. More is going to be required out of you. So, yeah, I kind of just, you know, I went in with that mindset. And uh, what made it easy, to be honest with you, was that I had a great supporting cast of just teammates. Like, if it wasn't for those teammates pouring into me and, and pushing me in days when I didn't feel like, you know, giving it 100%, I, I know I want to made it. That's awesome. I love I love the idea of a good community
0: of teammates around you that supports you and got your back. That's great. Um let let's kind of switch gears and talk specifically about thriving. I know that we've talked a lot about your story and I can just see all these little like spots where, where we're just mentioning all these different things that help you thrive well and that helped you thrive through your through those tough times. Um what does it mean to thrive to you like if you could define it if you could help people see like your mindset or your thoughts behind thriving like yeah
1: i mean to me it's it's a way to prosper as it pertains specifically to you and your experience right so for one you got to be able to define what thriving is for yourself as far as what it is that you want to accomplish but does it also align with who you are as an individual yeah and i think that that part has to do with a lot of deep reflection Uh, Mm -hmm. I have to go back and look at my life's experience coming from where I come from in Congo, what I went through in in South Africa, in Johannesburg, coming to the U.S. and honestly being a part of a football team where nobody in my family, direct family or extended family, knows anything about football. Why is it that I'm going through this thing, right? So football Mm -hmm. and recruiting and all that was basically a foreign language, like literally and figuratively, a foreign language to my parents, to my siblings and all that. So, you know, figuring that out on my own is how can I use that to create that opportunity for other people? But how can I use that to create opportunity for people who are in that so that they can actually thrive for whatever that means for themselves and to be able to define what thriving is for them? So, you know, a lot of that takes some deep and uh, deep reflection. You know, for me, I have core values that I hold on to. I know if I can hold on to my faith. Inclusion, growth, and action—those are my four core values. That basically is the filter of any big and major decision that I make. Um, it, it all comes down to those things. That's awesome. I like that.
0: Uh, and one thing I really like using in terms of like teaching and uh, helping people conceptualize what is thriving is what's the opposite in your mind? Like, what's the complete opposite? If you're thriving here at this level, you've defined it. You know what it is. You know where you're going. You have your core values and everything. What's the opposite
1: for you? Surviving. Yeah, I think surviving for me is the opposite of that. It's like, yo, here's the world. I wake up, don't really have any direction, no sense of what my purpose or what my mission is. And I'm just going to I'm just kind of wing it. Every single day, just trying to wing it. Uh, I feel like that's the opposite of thriving because you don't necessarily have a set plan. You're not taking time to self-reflect um, and really building that emotional intelligence, uh, which I feel like is, is crucial uh, to be able to thrive. So when you're just kind of, you know, hey, wherever the wind blows, where I'm going to go, that's that's the opposite uh, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I actually, I talk that, I say that a lot with my athletes that our brain has been almost developed to thrive, excuse me, not to thrive, but just survive. Absolutely. And so everything I do is I try to help people to kind of reprogram their mind so that they can start thriving and being very purposeful and deliberate about their actions instead of just you make it to the end of the day and you didn't die, so you're like, "All right, that was that was something else." Yeah. Like that—that's not the purpose of life, especially when it comes to athletic world. Like it's—it's it's continuous improvement, and growth, and development. I really like your four core values. Will you tell me again, okay, I have
1: Faith, uh, inclusion, growth, and, and action. Action. Okay. Action. Wow. Yeah. So just to break—if I could break that down just even a little Go further. for it. I'd love to break. hear more. Yeah, my faith is definitely the foundation of who I am, right? The reason Mm -hmm. I'm even here that I'm breathing is because I have that strong faith foundation. And it was a decision that I made whenever I was a sophomore in college. Again, teammates of mine who were able to pour into me and help me realize what uh, my faith was supposed to look like for me as somebody who was a Christian. And then uh, even looking around at my environment and, and, and my journey in life, it necessarily isn't about... Okay, I'm Congolese. All of you identify with Congolese people, but it's yo. I have friends who are, are every race, every background, think differently, and I feel like really that's where a lot of the growth comes from. Whenever you're able to get shared ideas, not a big fan of the idea of groupthink. I like to people to challenge my thoughts, uh, to challenge the way that I do things, and so that's why I feel like inclusion is so important. So not so much about like, hey, okay, everybody has a seat at the table, but what is everybody actually bringing to the table and how are we even uh, building our own table? To me, that's so important that you have like that. other races, other types of people, other backgrounds, social economics, and just groups of people that are represented. So I try to make sure that I invite people to things that I'm a part of, because anything in life worth doing is worth doing with other people. And then like uh, the other thing for me is growth, right? It's, it, it, it can't be just a stagnant. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse, right? Every football coach across America will tell you the same thing. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah. So I don't want to get worse. You know, I, I, I constantly want to be getting better. So if that's challenging in my mind, if that's the books that I'm reading, the podcasts that I'm listening to, if that's the way that I'm exercising, right? Right now, we're in straight-up quarantine mode. My wife and I, we're doing two-a-day workouts. And I tell you, I'm, I'm sick and tired of HIT workouts already. But, you know, it's <laughs> what we're doing. Um, so growth is extremely important. And then finally it's action. I feel like a lot of people have theories. Um, a lot of people have ideas and ideas are great. Ideas can be rewarded, but at the end of the day if you're not actually taking uh, action on any of those things, then what's the, what's the point? So yeah, uh, yeah execution slash action. I feel like those are the things that really, really get rewarded whenever you're able to act on those ideas. And how,
0: tell me how you were able to come to these core values that you hold right now? Like you mentioned a little bit about your experience and they kind of formed you into these ideas, but like what made you decide on four? Why not three? Why not six? Like, is yeah. this just something that like, did it, was there a class that walked you through it? They like, okay, I'll take that. Or like, tell me what what helped you form that idea?
1: Yeah, I remember when I was transitioned out of college and it was time to graduate, figure out what the heck the rest of your life is gonna look like, which by the way, Nobody really knows like, yeah, I mean, I think the average person in America now changes career seven different times. So yeah, no but you kind of put that type of pressure on yourself. I did anyway, whenever I was coming out of college, I'm like, yo, what the heck am I going to do? What do I want to be? I don't want to have to move back home, which by the way, I did for six months right, and I thought it was a good idea. But for me, it was like, okay, in order for me to figure out what the heck I want to go and do, I had mm-hmm. to actually take the time and stop. What were my favorite classes? Who are the professors and teachers that actually meant the most to me? What's topics that I enjoy learning? Why do I gravitate towards my friends the way that I do, right? And and as I was going back and thinking about all these different things, and I know that I'm somebody who enjoys relationships more than I enjoy transactions. So I know that I always wanted my career, whatever I'm doing in the future, I wanted to be more relational than transactional. I know Mm -hmm. that whatever I'm doing in my career, I always want my faith to be a part of it because it was the most important thing in my life. And then really from there on, I always felt like, you know, the group of friends that I was with or the individuals and and, and professional that I would talk to, they would have all these great ideas all the time. I'm just like, dang, somebody needs to do something about that. So that's when I decided to to add action to my thing. And I I always, I want to be somebody who, who who, who does more than he actually speaks. Right. Mm. Uh, You know, one of my, uh, one of the rappers, uh, that I listen to, Drake, you know, he says, when all is said and done, more is always said than done. And I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be one that does, that does more than I actually say. So. Solid, man. So as, as your
0: life progresses and grows, uh, you'd be open to putting a fifth or a sixth into that if it needs to be added, would you? Yeah,
1: yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. If, if it's absolutely necessary and and it fits, uh, yeah, I'm I'm open. Doesn't matter. So, the reason
0: why I ask is because I just hope that as the listeners are hearing you say this and and talking about your core values and the things that are really important to you, that they can kind of develop a blueprint or some kind of way that they can develop their own core values if they don't have them yet or if they're not that solid. Like, I think you're one of very few people I've talked to that have, like, here are my four core values. I mean, you know, often, like, and it's clearly rehearsed that it's something that's actually very, very important to you that you stick to those core values. Um, and so uh, for the listeners, uh, what would kind of be just a simple few questions they can ask themselves so that they can develop a few core values for themselves moving forward?
1: Yeah, um, I think one of the major things to ask yourself is just like when you go back and you look at your school experience, what was it that you actually enjoyed and what didn't you like? Right. Look at your circle of friends. Right. Somebody told me once that you're an average of the five people that you surround yourself with. Yeah. Well, do you enjoy those five people? Right. And, and and with those five people, are they taking you in the direction where you see yourself going? Well, if not, who is it that you need to surround yourself with? So mm-hmm. as you're taking the time, I think that social pressure is a good thing. Uh, personally, uh, whenever you're able to look at your social circles and say like, okay, what am I learning from these different people? And how are they helping me also? And how am I pouring into them so that we can sharpen one another? You know, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. So are we sharpening one another? And if not, what does that mean? Does that mean that you need to reevaluate? Does that mean that you need to shift your focus? So yeah. looking at your social circles, I think is, is definitely key, but also reflecting on things that you enjoy to do in life and things that you felt like, yo, in this moment, I'm alive because of this one experience or this thing that I did. But also with that, keeping in mind that there are going to be a lot of mundane things that are going to come across the way, but it's worth it to do those mundane just boring tasks, if the end result and, and the why and the mission feels great enough and strong enough.
0: Yeah, there's no excellence in life without the repetitive, everyday tasks that you need to do, the everyday actions that fulfill that purpose. It's Absolutely. just that, like any football player, any athlete, anywhere, any businessman, any CEO, whoever. They know that it takes the day-to-day in the trenches work to actually
1: develop something worthwhile and purposeful. Yeah, and if you, can, you can't escape it, and if, and if you can actually establish a, a good routine for yourself, I feel like that that's key. Like for me, I, I feel like I have a routine now where I'm able to say like, yo, if I can fill these five buckets on, on a daily basis, and I feel like I had a good day. Like that, I like that a lot. So uh, as you guys are listening, uh, t- take some of these
0: points into consideration about like what are your core values. That's I i have impressed, like very impressed. Um, that you can just rattle them off. I I don't think I've even put that much thought into my own. uh, And I'm definitely going to do that. Like right after this, I'm I'm making those pillars so clear for myself.
1: Um, Honestly, man, um, as our rookies transition into the NFL, one thing that I always tell them is if you don't have your core values established, somebody else will establish them for you or somebody else will tell you who you are because a guy comes into the NFL and there's this formula that I like to use. I say, when you come into the league, you're going to get more status power. Like Simply, you, you, you're, because of the, the platform that you're stepping into and because of the money that you're stepping into, people are going to view you differently and you're going to have more influence. So your status yeah. power increases. But if you don't have willpower, it creates vulnerable power. So status yeah. power minus willpower equals vulnerable power. And you don't want to be somebody who is vulnerable in terms of who you are as a person. So if as an individual, you can't define yourself, somebody else is going to define you for you. And it's going to mess up with your head. Oh,
0: no question. It's questions. just going to conflict all day long. Yeah. Absolutely. That's some solid stuff. Is that, is that part of the training that they go through every year coming into the Dolphins?
1: Those rookie yeah. Sports? So uh, coming into the Dolphins, we, we have this thing called the Rookie Success Program, um, where mm-hmm. basically they're meeting with us every single day, uh, five days a week, uh, whenever they first arrive uh, in May and in June. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like with this whole, you know, quarantine and COVID-19 yeah. situation that we're in. But on a typical year, yeah, May and June, um, until they have to break before, for that break before training camp, they're with us every single day. And we're talking about, we're talking about money. We're talking about the transition in and professionalism and, and what does it mean to be a pro versus just being a great football player. Uh, trying to impart some wisdom into them, um, understanding how to leverage the NFL, right? Because you have this platform now, there are things that you have access to that you didn't have access to before. So we're just trying to make sure that we're doing that and bringing in former players, if if that means former players have to speak to them as well, and uh, bridging the gap between them and the guys who are currently in the locker room so that they know what what, what thriving looks like for them. That's cool. I like that a lot.
0: That's something that I've seen that Every organization seems to do it it's just a little bit different, but kind of has that similar structure that it's uh, moving up to the pros from college is just next level, different animal. And it, it takes a lot of, of training, a lot of help to make sure that they're all successful at that. Definitely, man. Yeah. Would you, I, in your experience, you've, you've been doing this for five years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you also have a, a pretty good network of, of, you know, of collaboration. What do you think is the main difference between someone who thrives and And excels and succeeds in the NFL, or you know whatever that means for them, compared to someone who would kind of just tank and not not do well. Yeah. uh, What's maybe a few like of the of the
1: common factors between the different like the differences between the two? Well, for one, understanding that it's it's a day by day, brick by brick, stacking wins on top of one another. Right. It has to be, you know, your, your brain knows wins, like those dopamine hits or or, you know, the adrenaline rushes like you have to be able to just stack those slowly. So for me, for example, whenever you talk about, you know, daily routine, daily routine, in my opinion, is one of the most important things that somebody can establish whenever they come into the NFL. And the best pros that I've ever seen. Right. Guys like Cam Wake come to mind. Mike Pouncey. They guy like Jarvis Landry or, you know, these guys who have exce- excelled at a great level. Yeah, they're physically gifted. Just about everybody in the NFL is physically gifted. So that separator, in my opinion, is I've seen those guys' routines. And I also know that those guys are consistent with those routines.
0: Yeah. I remember
1: I would come into the locker room uh, so I, I used to play this little game with myself. I used to be, I tried to be one of the first people to actually get in a building, in the football building. So whenever I would get to the building, I went to the weight room and I would work out and I knew who I was going to see in there. I knew Ryan Tannehill was going to be in there. I knew Ndamukong Su was going to be in there. And you can pretty much bet that, uh, Cam Wake, Mike Pouncey were going to be in there. They were always going to be the first people and they knew exactly what they were going to do whenever they got in the building, depending on the day that it was. Right, they know what their recovery looked like. They know what their prehab looked like. And they knew mm-hmm. what they had to do to get their bodies prepared and what they had to eat. For By the way, Cam Wake, craziest eating habits that you will ever think of. I'm talking, he used to take five, six two-go boxes home every single day because he knew that's what was needed in order to keep his, his weight. And he did that every day. When he's done playing football, he's going <laughs> to be, be 220 pounds. Like, and he plays at 260. Yeah. So it's unbelievable to see. No but, you know, that's, that, that's the type, right. of discipline, type of discipline that's needed. So, you know, I'm able to look at these different individuals and I'm like, dang, like if they do this, what does that look like for me? <laughs> you know, like, what? how can I do that in my own personal life? So mm-hmm. I came up with this method just called, you know, the five P's of the promised land is, is what it's called. And the five P's that I have in my life, I have prayer, uh, physical, personal, professional and philanthropic. So. If, if I could just real quick, it's. Go for it. What, I'd love to hear. So, so, so that first P, prayer, what does my spiritual life look like? As far as like the things that I'm reading mm-hmm. Am I practicing my faith regularly, right? That's prayer, that's reading, that's meditation, right? So if I'm doing that, okay, now I know that I can get over to my physical side, physical meaning. What am I eating as well as am I taking care of my body? Uh, just from a exercise standpoint. So eating mm-hmm. and exercise. Now I know oh. if I could show up in those two areas, then I can, I can fill into that bucket of perf- uh, personal. Right. So that means at home, that means with my wife, sometimes it's just time to be a a straight up husband. Like I'm on straight, like just a husband mode, not thinking about anything else and making sure that the home is taken care of. Now, if those three P's are taken care of, now I can show up the way that I know that I need to professionally. Yeah. And once you take care of business professionally, which is that fourth P, now I know that I'm able to give back philanthropically. And sometimes that just means random act of kindness. You know, am I checking in those buckets? Uh, sometimes it just means like, oh, I just need to call somebody on the phone and have a conversation. Hopefully, I can provide some value through that conversation. So those five P's for me—if I can check off those five boxes on a daily basis—I mm-hmm. can say, okay, that was a good day. I love what you're saying
0: there because I know that you're saying that you know check off boxes. But what I'm what I'm actually hearing from you is that it's more about being someone, like being you know, you said. The, the kind of the, the prayer spiritual side, your personal, your physical. And as you become someone, then you can actually start giving back. I love that whole thought, the whole process there. Like, I think a lot of times we focus on doing things and, like, yeah. and like you said, checking off boxes. Um, we, we focus so much on the tactics or the techniques around it instead of who we actually are and how we're showing up and how we're approaching it. And I think that that, I love that approach, those yeah. five P's. Say that again, five P's or what?
1: Yeah, my five P's So just prayer, physical, personal, professional, and philanthropic. And somebody told me a long yeah. time ago, they said, yo, if you're not filling yourself up first, there's no way you're going to be able to pour into others, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you have a vase and, and, and if that vase is just halfway full, it, it doesn't overflow. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's easy to get caught up in, I have to do this and I have to do that. But what are you doing for yourself? You know, I think mm-hmm. self-care is so key. And as long as I'm able to fill myself up too then I, I won't ever feel drained because I'm given so much and I'm not ever taking that time to actually invest in myself. It. So.
0: And it's really hard and maybe speak a little bit to you being a, a spouse, but like you, you can't give much if you're if you're running on fumes. You can't give much to your to your wife or to your kids or, or anything in the family. It's really, really hard. So what does that look like for you in terms of like, what if you're not taking care of your spiritual or your physical? What then happens to your relationship? What happens to professional? What happens to your giving to other people?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, there's not, it's not a clear direction. It's almost like a, you know, like those five Ps along with my four core values, it's almost like it's that compass, you know, or, or mm-hmm. better yet, it's like a GPS, Yeah, right? Like whenever you're, you're driving in the car and you have a GPS, ah. if you get off track, what does it do? It just, it reroutes you, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever those things are in place, what it does for me is it allows me to keep going exactly where I feel like that's, you know, that's where my destination is intended. So if I'm not taking care of, you know, the, the, the five Ps, I feel like in that order, I know that maybe I'm not going to listen to my wife as much as I should be listening whenever it's time to just stop and have a conversation. Right. Or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, providing the way that I should be providing, or I'm not adding value at work. Um, and, and, and if, if, I'm at work and I'm thinking about something that's happening at work or sorry, if I'm at work and I'm thinking about something that's happening at home, now I'm not being efficient with my time whenever I'm at work, right? It's just like I tell our players, if the man's not right, the player's not going to be right. You know, guys step on there, they're already being weighed down by their shoulder pads. They're being weighed down by their helmets and whatever other pads they, they have. But if they're thinking about financial problems and they're thinking about you know, mom is going through this and they're thinking about, yo, my house, you know, whatever it may be. Now all of a sudden those things are weighing you down as well. And because of that, you're not able to ball out the way that you know that you can ball out and because you don't feel as free as you would whenever you're out there on that field. So people who That's feel right. like that off the field doesn't impact that on the field, they're they're completely wrong. So you gotta Delusional. be able to
0: take care of that. Delusion as- even, I'd say. I love that you describe it as being free. I love the idea of athletes being free to just like create and just I like ball out just perform and I I think that's a that's an awesome state to be in when you can focus that well even if you do have problems like that doesn't mean you can't still do well it just means you have to be able to focus where your feet are keep moving forward
1: which which Um, is which is almost a crazy thought because people don't realize that creating these boundaries for yourself right These, these five p's or these core values boundaries actually allow you to operate in freedom. Right. People yeah. feel like, oh, yeah, I can't be free because I'm binded by this or by that. But it's all about just knowing yourself. If I know myself, I know my core values. Mm-hmm. I'm able to operate freely because I have my guardrails up. So, yeah. yeah. And
0: you know where you want to go. You have direction. And with, without direction, it's not true freedom. I think that that's
1: yeah.
0: a very true statement right there. Like if, if you don't have deliberate purpose, then that's not, it's actually not freedom. I mean, that's, you're just wandering. Absolutely. Blindlessly walking about and that's not it's not you're you're uh, surviving exactly um i I wanted to get into a little bit you you mentioned a little bit about your marriage that you had took a pretty unique journey into your marriage oh yeah um and and i'd love to hear about that Uh, specifically you know everybody has these moments these experiences where they're kind of stuck in the set like they're just just things are not great And they have to make changes. They have to adapt or progress, grow, whatever it takes to then start thriving. Kind of talk to me about your marriage and that unique progress process you took from the suck. I guess is a decent way to put it to thriving.
1: Yeah, man. I think for me, uh, more than anything, was whenever I was growing in my faith journey. I'm growing spiritually. I knew what kind of man I wanted to be, but a lot of times as I was growing my actions did not reflect who I said I was as a person and who I wanted to be as a person. So I knew that a lot of changes were going to be needed. And for me, what that looked like was being a college athlete. It's easy to, you know, almost get out of yourself when it comes to how to cherish a woman, the way that she's supposed to be cherished. You know, if Mm -hmm. you get what I'm saying. So it's okay. You, 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 you get, almost caught up in, okay, you're in this limelight or at Oklahoma State specifically, you have this thing called Oklahoma fame, right? If you're in Oklahoma and you're an athlete, you know, to, to, to other people's, maybe they don't realize this is to, we know how serious football is in Texas, but it's pretty dang serious in Oklahoma. Like it, it really is, especially between those two schools, Oklahoma State and OU, which by the way, I don't even like saying uh, the other school's name, but – Just the other school. I I, I
0: understand what you're
1: saying. That that other school down south. So, you know, just being there and and, and I didn't have those core values defined for myself at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talk about the unique journey that I had to go through is I made the decision after I graduated college that I wanted to be somebody who I I didn't want to pursue a woman for anything more than a friendship. And I knew that eventually I wanted to be a husband, but the way that I was living my life at the time, would not set me up to be a successful husband a successful husband, or a great mm-hmm. husband. So I decided that, yo, I'm strictly going to be friends w- with girls. I'm not going to uh, go on dates or anything like that. And the reason why I did that was because, one, I wanted to figure out what kind of man I was first. I remember one of my friends, Jermaine, actually, whenever I went back home one day, he said, you know, so how's it going with, uh, with your relationships, man? Who- who's the girl now? And I was like, who's the girl now? What the heck are you talking about who's the girl now? He said, come on, Eve, we know there's always some girl that's in the picture. You know, who's the girl now? So when he hit that, it was like an epiphany. He, he said that to me, and it hit me. I was like, yo, why is it that I feel like there always has to be, there always has to be a girl in the picture? So I had to take some time to actually stop and refine my, and, and define that for myself. Is it, do I feel lonely, or do I feel like I can't be more of who myself if I'm just by myself? So figure out what kind of man I was, figure out yeah. what kind of woman I'm actually attracted to, Right? Instead of just, hey, this is good, this is good. Let me take some actual time to define, like, what am I attracted to? But also, three, how do I properly pursue that type of woman? So once I was able to identify those three things, right, what kind of man I want to be, what kind of woman am I attracted to, how do I properly pursue her, that was a four-year journey. It was only supposed to really be like, yo, I'm not pursuing a woman for for anything more than a friendship for just a year. And then, like, one year ended up turning into three years, and then that's when I, I, I met my wife. Not, I didn't know she was, of course, going to be my wife. But by her second date, I felt like it was just so clear because of that three-year journey. Uh, you know, the suck was really like, yo, you, you see somebody, you're kind of interested. And you know you want to maybe ask her out. But you have to, you know, c- kind of constrain yourself because, yo, it, it was just a mission that I was on. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until that I met my wife and I was like, okay, you know, I feel like she might be the one um, you know, this woman that felt like I was identifying as this is who I'm, I think I'm interested in. She kind of meets all the uh, criteria. So I took her out on the date. She didn't consider it a date. She wasn't interested in me at all. But after that second date, I was like, yeah, that's the woman I'm going to marry. So here we are about a month, a year and a month later, uh, happily married. I love that. Congrats, man. Appreciate
0: I, that. I, I hear a very strong principle as you're, as you're talking through this. So I'll tell you, Kind of a principle I, I'm conceptualizing. You can tell me if I'm even close to, to what you're seeing, but uh, it sounds like what happens is a lot of people kind of walk through life trying to be, I don't know if there's a good way to describe it, trying to be um, clear, have a vision about what they want, right? Like they, they think that, you know, before they act, they have to know everything that they're trying to do. Yeah. But in reality, that vision, that clarity, it comes from action, and so you spent three years of like defining what it looks like to you and what you're trying to be and who you're trying to who is a you know ideal to be with and stuff like that. And then you finally get to the situation like, I have a clear mind, like I like yeah. I I have a very clear idea purpose of what this is going to look like. And I think that is such a magical thing that happens in relationships, in athletics, in business, in entrepreneurship, or anywhere in between that clarity comes from action it's not a prerequisite for action but is a, it's a direct product of the action and so yeah. i love that story that you're saying because that is I, I see that principle laid out so clearly that you put in your work you did everything that it took to kind of develop that clarity year after year after year and then once you get in a good situation you're, you're operating out of clarity. Am I even close? Uh,
1: no, that, yo, I love the way that you put that because honestly, I feel like that's what it was able to provide me more than anything else is it provided me clarity. And I always say that's probably the most important decision that I ever made just as a man. Yeah. Um, I feel like as a man, if you're able to resist the urges, one of pride, right? I feel like pride always gets to you, but more than anything, like as a man, lust is always something that, that, that tries to allure you. And if you can control that, as a, as a man, specifically mm-hmm. as a man, there's not that many things that you cannot control just from a self-discipline standpoint. And when you do that, all it does is it allows you to operate from a place of clarity. So yeah, I love the way that you put that. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, this, is this has been going great,
0: and I wanna ask just one last question as, as we finish, uh, cause I don't wanna take too much of your time. I don't want the episode to be too long. So question is, in terms of uh, maybe, Advice, wisdom, principles, anything that you want to leave for the next generation, for people that uh that would be listening for athletes for friends, family you you name it and then then give it out there
1: All right no I would say um you know your life journey is your life journey for a reason, and I think that it's so important that you don't let anybody else define what you're supposed to be or what thriving is supposed to be for you you really do have to take that time to define that for yourself. And, you know, that looks a lot of different ways. I talked about the core values. I talked about the daily routines, but I I just think it's way too important. Like life is too important to go through it mindlessly. Uh, I think that it has to be gone through with purpose, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest thing for me, you know, take that time, self-reflect, emotional intelligence. I would say is probably more important than IQ when it comes to, Uh, achieving in the area that you want to achieve in. And if you don't know what that area is, that's completely fine. But don't feel like you have to look at social media or look at what other people are doing and feel like you're comparing yourself to them. Because what works for them may not be what works for you. And what's good for them isn't necessarily what's good for you. But what's for you is for you. And as long as you understand that, what that is, you'll be all right. And you'll be able to thrive um, from, from a place of clarity within yourself. Love that.
0: I, just echoing the same thing I was saying before, like that, that clarity comes from action, not from thinking. Yeah. Like nobody cares what you know. People go and care what you do. So keep moving forward. Keep trying new things and don't be afraid to fail because that is so big in the journey. The moment you fear failure, things just start crumbling
1: around you. And, and you know what? That's why I love sports so much, especially when it comes to overcoming the fear of failure, because mm-hmm. you know that's something that you face on a regular basis in sports, right? You get mm-hmm. all this pressure, you have 70,000 people who are looking at you from the stands and you gotta say to yourself, yeah, there's a lot that's riding on this right now, but you know what, we're gonna do it anyway. And I think that's, that's courage, right? That's where bravery comes from. Mm-hmm. And it translates and it parallels perfectly to just life. You know, There's gonna be a lot of times where you're gonna have to overcome that fear of failure. And as you do that, you get more dopamine hits to the brain and that just allows you to become a better and more well-rounded individual. Love it. Well, Eve, thanks so much
0: for coming on the show. Uh, everybody, this is Eve. Oh, I'm going to say it on Bat- Bataba. Batoba. Eve Batoba.
1: Batoba.
0: Yeah. I, I mixed up the letters. Eve Batoba. thanks so much for being on. Again, this is Thrivecast where we dive into what it takes to deliberately design a life so that you can thrive. Whatever that means for you and your values and your mission. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.